Welcome to Talks News, your one and only source to the source. Honestly, couldn't think of anything better this time. I, I usually have something a little bit more prepared based on the episode itself, but today I came in with a laissez-faire answer and I just kind of went with the flow and let it be, Maktub, as it was written, you know? So jam-packed episode, I don't know if I'm going to be able to fit like literally all of it inside this. So if you got time and patience, join me on this adventure. But there's a few things to get into, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, uh, Militia Watch has gotten back on their right time when they come out with their uh, updates. They're now out on Mondays, meaning that I can now cover them on Mondays or Tuesdays. But I'm recording this on a Tuesday. I used to be doing it Wednesdays because they were having delayed launches, but now they're back on schedule. And then after that, I want to touch briefly on how SCOTUS opens the floodgates for prosecutors to destroy Donald Trump. Yes, but there's also like this really long video from this one website that I had found. Um, or not website, but channel. Um, it was recommended from Reddit's subreddit r slash golden black. And uh, it's apparently the politically incorrect uh, view of the Great Depression. Let me get that headline, like the, the video title here specifically. Let me see here. Where did it go? The politically incorrect guide to the Great Depression and the New Deal. And so if you know anything about the right wing, politically incorrect means you're woke as fuck. Like you're too woke to be shooken by any other amount of information that would uh, contradict your wokeness. You're so woke that you're politically incorrect. Um, And it comes from a channel called Capital Research Center. And after watching about 10 minutes of the 16 minutes, I was like, let's fucking go let's do this so um that one's gonna be a little bit longer so if you're not interested in that skip that that's gonna be the last piece but uh donald trump is gonna be the next piece just because i like the story i think it's funny and i also think it's funny that nobody besides this one news channel called uh the next news network is talking about it i've gone to fox news multiple times since this story broke and they have not even touched it and i love it I love that they will not touch a story that embarrasses Donald Trump. But the, these guys will uh, be the shield to his uh, swamp. So, anyways, we begin today. Per usual, when a Militia Watch update comes out, we begin here. So, this is going to be for the weekly update of February 22nd, 2021. Let the record show. Oh, yeah. I think I have everything set up. Let me make sure. Let me make sure I got all my ball bearings ready to go for the episode. Methinks we're on. Methinks we're good. So, going with the weekly update, we have more J6 updates focusing on Ohio, Georgia, and the group makeup of the Stormers. We have legal updates for Kyle Rittenhouse and New England Minutemen, and we have Recall Newsom drama aimed at San Diego Mayor. So it begins with the J6 updates per use, since that has been the biggest militia event that we've had 
in recent history. We have Sandra and Benny Parker, a couple from Ohio who were arrested for their alleged involvement in, alongside other Ohio-based Oath Keepers in the storming of the U.S. Capitol building. Six individuals who guarded Roger Stone earlier in the day were involved in the storming. Roger Stone was a former advisor to Donald Trump, a pretty close friend of his, uh, and they go way back. He, Roger Stone goes back to the Nixon days. So half a dozen Georgians are now among the 200-plus facing charges for the storming, the newest of which is Andrew Nolly, whose initial hearing was held this past week. There's substantial disagreement still about how meaningful group involvement among the Capitol arrestees actually is. The ADL, I think an Anti-Defamation League, claims this is high, while an ongoing study by UChicago's Chicago Project on Security and Threats argues that this number is low. The Militia Watch view is more in line with the Chicago Project on Security and Threats assessment, though ADLs anti-defamation leagues Oren Seagal in a tweet did acknowledge that the overwhelming majority majority of arrestees 75% are quote part of the new Trump pro-Trump extremist movement unquote for what it's worth so in a recent poll through their police union the Capitol Police also overwhelmingly voted no confidence in their leadership most union leadership speaking about the vote stated this is due to poor planning information sharing ahead of and during the 6th of January's events I found that pretty interesting uh, no confidence in their leadership and that really shows and like how underprepared for the event itself they were like that's that that to me is pretty obvious so let me extend this a little bit. There we go. All right. Moving on. Uh, fourth, fifths. Nope, nope, nope. Rittenhouse hearing. Here we go. Rittenhouse hearing garners protest calls for judge to resign. After a judge determined to not push a renegotiation of Rittenhouse's bond or to rearrest the teen shooter, protesters demonstrated against the decision. They called for a Kenosha County judge to resign and staged a die-in over the move could be justified he did uh break his parole and a lot of people tend to pay a lot of consequences for that and with such a um uh public case you know one that has a lot of attention around it uh be careful be careful of the judgments that you come to in these conclusions and the results of those uh decisions but moving on four-fifths of charged new england minutemen plead guilty this week, four members of the New England Minutemen Militia Group pled guilty to charges for their intervention into a BLM protest this summer. Their charges are a mix of disorderly conduct, criminal possession of a weapon, the most egregious of which carries a maximum of 15 years. The arrestees were tied to the militia group through a tactical manual for the group recovered from one of their cars when they were arrested on the 7th of June. The fifth member of the group arrested and charged, Noah Latham, did not plead guilty and was allegedly carrying a quote-unquote ghost gun near the BLM protest. So we've always said that for some of these uh, protests that were happening last summer that there were bad actors stirring up chaos, making Black Lives Matter look bad. That's not necessarily in every riot case, but it tends to happen. And so it's very interesting how this story specifically of a militia group's intervention in a BLM protest just goes quietly under the radar. The, so we have one more miscellaneous update. 
and we have the mayor of San Diego, Nathan Fletcher, in audio release last week, referred to the Recall Newsom campaign as linked to an assortment of actors, including extremists, conspiracy theorists, neo-Nazis, right-wing militia groups, and white supremacists. Some of most of these links, some or most of these links, are factually discernible. This past week, angry Recall Newsom protesters have nonetheless demanded that Fletcher publicly apologize to their campaign members. Um, and that's the thing, is that even when the Save the Child protests started happening, not everybody who went to those protests were necessarily QAnon members. Um, but it was a, 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 an opportunity for QAnon members to kind of mingle with people who may not have necessarily been aware of their movement. So a, a similar situation can come of the Recall Newsom campaign, that even though a lot of them may not hold these far-right um, or extremist ideologies within them, they start to bump shoulders with them. So it's, it's at least worth keeping in mind. Um, a couple of reads here. I didn't get into all of them, but they have one from West Milford Messenger on some Orange County Oath Keepers Sheriff Office links, which is very interesting. Um, the Sheriff's Office is no longer uh, in coordination with the Oath Keepers. From what I could tell, um, it seemed that the Sheriff had uh, left the movement before it really became the Oath Keepers that we know it to be, but uh, it's still pretty good at acknowledging because when he became a sheriff is when the Oath Keepers itself uh, began, and then it kind of morphed from there, and uh, gentlemen decided, you know what, the Oath Keepers isn't actually what I initially thought it would be, it's becoming something else, and I'm seeing that this is the time to uh, depart ways. Now, the other one, was interesting that it's on the Rolling Stone, but it's also very fascinating that it wasn't bigger news, and it comes on some infiltration efforts, and it comes talking about this uh, group called Deplatform Hate, and they're basically these undercover anti-fascists who go around the internet um, kind of exposing all of these right-wing militia members and all of their online activity. So if you're interested in that, find that in the Rolling Stone, because apparently nobody else is reporting it, but I did find it a very fascinating read. I've heard of uh, Molly Conger before. I follow, I follow her on um, Twitter. Uh, I think she's at Socialist Dogma or Dogmum. Jeez, I even dog mom, socialist dog mom. Um, but she she works on a lot of uh, this type of work here. And there's another book um, that came out recently that dives even more deeper into like kind of the online culture of far right militias and extremist movements. And it's called uh, Culture Warlords. I can't remember who the authors are, but there's another book that kind of dives into that specifically. And I found it a very interesting article and how deplatform hate kind of keeps an eye on uh, these uh, movements. Uh, there's, there's of course, like bigger institutions that do that as well. But deplatform is like this vigilante group of uh, journalists who kind of gave up the journalism life freelance or working for other outlets and just went solely into their own vigilante system of uh uh, watching and exposing far-right uh, potential da potentially dangerous people. So, find that on Rolling Stone. I found it very interesting. Very interesting read indeed, yes. Well, that was the end of Militia Watch for this week. Um, I would also wanted to add that I did a super stream on Sunday, and there was a Dave Rubin, Heather McDonald video where Dave Rubin was interviewing Heather McDonald, who's a columnist, writer, speaker of right-wing beliefs, 
And she like really highlighted that like the white supremacists and right wing militia groups aren't really a concern that we're supposed to have, regardless of the fact she didn't even acknowledge the FBI report that domestic terrorism is the greatest threat to our national security. And just shortly after watching that, and she kind of like downplays the existence of them whatsoever. I had seen that there's a new report I think had come out of the UN, whether you trust them or not, analyzed that white supremacist uh, like terrorism within nations is actually an international threat as we're seeing white supremacists kind of like starting to bring their heads out of their groundhog holes all around the world and um they they tend to agree on kind of like a baseline value of their white nationalism so you kind of have to wonder on an international level if they're able to make networks on that size what kind of threat that could be domestically and internationally so that was very fascinating that heather mcdonald is just completely unaware of uh, of right-wing extremism Whew, okay. All right, next news network. Take me away into wonderful, ignorant bliss. Unfortunately, I have some bad news to report out of the Supreme Court today. This is breaking news. The Supreme Court has now allowed, open the floodgates for prosecution of Donald J. Trump. The left has no limits. They want to punish him and all. Which is hilarious. To say that the left has no limits in targeting Donald Trump for his uh, uh, tax filings um, because they're investigating uh, taxes going dating back 2011. So this is 10 years of taxes that they're interested in. And we do know that so far he paid uh, more taxes in China than he did in the United States in 2015. So that's an interesting little like, hmm, I wonder if there's more to that there. But the Supreme Court uh, worried the shit out of Democrats during... Uh, Amy Comey Barrett's nomination and appointment because they were worried about a conservative bias on the Supreme Court. Trump wasn't worried about that. He liked Amy Comey Barrett and he liked the appointment. He liked everything about it. So acknowledging that there is a lead in uh, conservative judges on the Supreme Court right now, it's very funny to me that they're blaming Democrats. All of his supporters severely for even challenging the establishment over the last four years. I've and, like, it's also funny that he's able to make this, like, weird connection that investigating Donald Trump's possible tax fraud allegations is an attack on Trump supporters. So, like, if you attack the symbol or the idea that is Trump, you're attacking the people who support him, which is a very unhealthy way to, like, that's an extremely toxic relationship to have with a politician. We've got the details before I go further. If you're new here, tap. Because then, like, every crime Trump commits, then you think, oh, man. I'm going to be held accountable for that, or I have to defend him away from that because it's all witch hunt lies. Like, it's it's not a healthy relationship. This is the type of shit that authoritarianism thrives on. News Network's ad-free, uncensored bonus content and exclusive record reports one month after leaving the presidency. Donald Trump is finding that the left's vendetta against him won't stop just because he was acquitted by the Senate of the charge of having... Well, and the thing is, too, is that these investigations had started before Trump left office and also, I think, had started shortly before um, the election process started, uh, like even the Democratic primaries, on top of the fact that he refused to release his tax... Um, uh, tax... Uh, what, what, what word am I looking for? His tax reports? There's something else. Uh, tax filings. He refused to report his tax um, when he entered office, which is something a lot of presidents have done. 
on top of that, the reason why he said he couldn't do that is because he was being audited by the IRS. So that would also indicate he was already under investigation, which we later found out that excuse was true. Even though the IRS said, well, he is under audit, but he could release his taxes whenever he wanted to. But there is truth here that he was under investigation before he became president. And so this, this ruling here is tied to much longer than this idea of, oh, we, he, we acquitted Trump and now we have to get him for something else. No, no, this is older than that. Trump's been having legal battles since he became president and probably even long before. We know for sure long before because we know him and his dad had to go to court in dealing with not letting black people into their apartment buildings. Please continue. Having incited an insurrection, the Supreme Court is now allowing, they announced today, prosecutors to go after Donald Trump. CNN broke the news this morning. Let's and that's also a weird framing of it. They didn't say, here's the green light to go attack Trump. Trump's legal team brought this to the Supreme Court in an appeal case to say that it was unconstitutional for them to further their investigation. The Supreme Court ruled against it. They didn't say, go attack the man. Let's watch. It is, Jim, and a big loss for the former President Trump. As you said, we've been waiting on this decision since the middle of October. And now, the middle of February, we're finally getting this decision from the Supreme Court. She seems kind of excited there, doesn't she? We've been waiting. We couldn't, we can't wait to, to go after President Trump. And that's also because the ruling was held off in October so that the ruling wouldn't have any effect on the, uh, the election itself. And so there might have been a, you know, a lot of liberals sitting on the edge of their seat like, oh boy, man, I can't wait for Trump to go to court and be humiliated. I can't say that that wouldn't be cathartic for a lot of people, but he's painting this idea of like, what a bunch of ghouls just waiting for this man to bleed. And at the same time, when someone who's spent so much of their time dividing this country and also making it a worse place to, to live in, I don't feel bad for a guy who has made enemies. I mean, she's almost smiling as she's reporting this. I mean, the glee for this type of news is, is horrendous. But this is, of course, CNN. They're saying that the Manhattan District Attorney, Cy Vance, can in fact get access to former President Donald Trump's tax returns. This is something that has been playing out in the courts for more than a year now. Remember, it was back in July when the Supreme Court said, no, President Trump, you do not have absolute immunity from these records that the prosecutor in Manhattan is seeking. This went back down to the lower courts. President Trump's attorneys continued to fight it in the lower courts, saying that this request was overbroad. It was in bad faith. The lower court said, no, you have to hand over these records. But Trump's team, continued to fight it to the Supreme Court. That I mean, Trump's literally fighting what happened to like Martha Stewart and Wesley Snipes. So like all of his allegations that it's overreaching and it's too broad and all of these things like this, this case has precedent of like many people who have been investigated by the IRS and also like uh, districts trying to uh, uphold whether or not you actually filed your taxes correctly because it, it does follow criminal prosecution. So this isn't like anything new for anybody. They're, they're, they're literally just so attached to this, this spray painted toupee wearing uh, uh image idea of a person that they literally will defend him no matter what charges come up against against him like trump really at this point has proved that he could shoot somebody in the middle of fifth avenue and nobody would do anything about it 
That was back in the middle of October. We've been waiting all of this time to determine what the Supreme Court would do. And now, a month after Trump left office, they have said that these tax records can be handed over. Well, now they finally get the tax records they have been waiting for since he took the Oval Office back in 2016. They report that the battle... And that's because it's been a normal procedure for presidents to report their tax filings. It's been normal. It's abnormal when they don't. Over Trump's tax returns has been a long-running one. The left has there's no law numerous theories it. of how Trump may have benefited while it's in just office. Been, it's just been a thing to show in good faith that you're not like a uh, corrupted piece of shit. So like it's there's no law requiring that Trump do so. But in this in this prosecution case here specifically, he does have to provide evidence of good faith acting and paying taxes. Which of course, with all the defense Donald Trump is putting up against, sounds like he did some shady shit. Michael Cohen. Has his former lawyer has said that he has, uh, you know, changed the, the value of certain properties that he has in order to evade taxes on paying them. So there's there's uh, there's ground for investigation, but that's not what he cares about here. Apparently, Donald Trump is this infallible God who cannot be touched. Violation of the emoluments clause to the U.S. Constitution. They state here that judging the Supreme Court's inaction on Monday, the witch hunts against Donald Trump will continue. So we're going to continue to follow this story, bring you the latest as it happens. So unfortunate news today. Now the tax returns will be permitted. And who knows? Who knows when the, what they're going to leak, right? They've allowed these things to be brought out. And you know, they're well, and that's the thing, too, is that once it becomes part of this prosecution, his tax filings are probably going to be provided as public evidence. And yeah, it will then reach the public eye. I don't know why he's like fighting on this idea of it being leaked. It's going to be part of public record. They're going to be leaking citizen. them momentarily, and then there's going to be an entire news cycle surrounding everyone going through Donald Trump's tax returns with the... Let's just remember, he paid $150 in U.S. taxes in 2015 while paying $500,000 in China. The American first guy. The America is the greatest country on the planet guy. I mean, how are we ignoring that at this point? Fine tooth comb to try to criticize him and then just destroy rake him, him over the coals destroy and destroy him. him in the court of public opinion. <laughs> so but that's the thing is that with Republicans, he's not going to be destroyed, especially when he's got people as old as like Lindsey Graham saying that Trump needs to be the vanguard of the new Republican Party. They're letting him speak at the CPAC on Sunday. So like he has done at like his public appearance with Republic, like a lot of Republicans has not changed. So despite the fact that the prosecutors now have the opportunity to go after him there, you know, these tax returns are going to get leaked. It's just a matter of time. It is just a matter of time. Because they'll become a Comment part of below. public Comment below, we'll see you record. at the next report. For because they will become part of public record. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, moving on from the undestructible statue that is Donald J. Trump, we have this video that should be it. This is it. This is, this is, this is the episode. And it's a libertarian's representation of the Great Depression. And boy, oh boy, could my uh, sensitive... Uh, lefty sensibilities couldn't just not let it go. So let's let's get it. All right, <clears throat> all right. What seems to be the problem? Things are terrible. Corporate profits have been negative for three years. Net private investment is negative. There's been a stock market crash. Okay, okay, sounds like depression. 
Real GNP per capita is down 30% in just four years. Unemployment is at 25%. In some places, it's even worse. Ah, okay, so this isn't just depression. This is the Great Depression. The Great Depression? Yes, the Great Depression. Yes, it's the worst economic disaster in American history, but we had FDR. We had the New Deal. That ship was righted, and America ends up becoming the economic superpower we all know and love today. No, that's not true at all. The Great Depression persisted all throughout the 1930s. On the eve of World War II, unemployment was nearly 20%, even after all the New Deal programs. It's, it's very fascinating that like when they talk about Obama's recession and the Great Depression, that's like the slowest, um, like the Great Depression is like the greatest crash of our economic system in history. And uh, Obama's recession or the one that he inherited from Bush, that's the deepest recession we've been in since the Great Depression. And they always say that they're the slowest recoveries in U.S. history when they're literally the deepest recessions that we've had. How do they expect for things to overturn overnight when we have like deep economic and systemic issues that have actually deprived us of uh, prosperity for multiple years? Like with depression going on for a few years, acts enabled is supposed to just somehow overturn those years in a couple of nights. It's always the worst argument to take. And it wound up being the longest downturn in American history. Not Rome wasn't built in a day. Not in spite of the government's involvement, but because of it. And that's also a fascinating position to take, that it's the government's fault that the, the, the depression continued as long as it did, even though it crashed underneath like an almost laissez-faire capitalist model, is that like the less government intervention that we have and direct relief that we have, the more capitalism will just correct itself. And they fed off of that idea until it depressed even further and Hoover lost re-election. Let's start with something basic, like, you know, food. When FDR came into office, he's got this tremendous agricultural bounty, and because of all this food, prices on food keep falling. Wait, wait. Okay, but um, that was actually like a part, like overproduction was essentially the part of the problem, was that there was more goods than people were buying, so companies were taking losses for the amount of goods they were actually producing. So um, that's we're we're coming into like like uh, an example that takes place in the middle of the Great Depression rather than starting at the beginning, which is a very interesting point to take when you're discussing uh, what the problem of the Great Depression is by ignoring the beginning and finding faults in the middle, um, because of course in the middle of things is when it was the worst. You're telling me it's a problem during a depression that food has become cheap. I don't think it's a problem, but FDR did, because... Yeah, uh, the economy found it a problem, because even with the over-food abundance, people uh, didn't have jobs to buy it, so the food rotted, and companies took a loss in that production because there was just too much production. For the farmer, it's not good for prices to fall. So FDR's Agricultural Adjustment Act... And he, he did make that valid point there, is that like the more... 
of the the farmer had more than they could actually sell so then they couldn't pay the uh the the ownership of the land whether it was rent or through mortgage or through another land ownership so the farmers were basically taking losses even though they had enough food to provide to everybody there was just nobody to buy it and i think essentially that's a part of a problem of thinking that I, that i have to uh give things for a profit for an increase in surplus value. So like if we were somehow able to uh, overcome capitalism, people might've gotten food sooner. I don't think the wealth increase or investments in stocks would have been in the same regard if we had uh, just shoehorned capitalism in favor of socialism, but at least with mutual aid and uh, getting people back to work, there would have been a more focus on getting food inside people's mouths. Paid farmers to cut back on production or even to produce nothing at all. Less food means higher prices, so he paid farmers to destroy a huge amount of crops in order to raise prices to make farmers better off. So six million pigs were slaughtered. Ten million acres of cotton were destroyed. This sounds like a... This, this is true. I'm not 100% sure of all the pig slaughterings. I couldn't find any citation to back that up, and this video doesn't provide any citations for most of what they say. Um, but in in order to raise the prices was to help the farmers actually gain enough money to pay off of their um, what is the the word for it um, their assets. So basically, to to uh, balance out the asset and liability, they had to raise the price of their assets in order to pay off their liabilities, and then that was it allowed their farms to either continue to grow in its business size or at least just you know hit zero and not have to report losses a good idea not the way you're spinning it because the government comes it slaughters pigs from my farm and then the framing here that like the government sent people over and started massacring like farmers pigs i i don't even know if that's 100 percent true i haven't found any citations of that whatsoever of like army soldiers coming down with bayonets and slicing pigs throats i there's i i, I don't know man i'm the farmer as, I... as far as i know it was subsidies paid to farmers to basically manage their farms and have less less amounts of certain crops that were overproduced and overworked that also like kind of hurt the soil a bit but on top of it by getting rid of uh surplus in their in their assets so like i don't know if the government showed up with weapons and started you know firing squad a bunch of pigs but i do know that for sure farmers had to get rid of pigs in order to receive these subsidies I get paid for the pigs and then that meat, that pork, goes to feed poor people. No, the pork gets destroyed. The cotton gets destroyed. All this stuff got destroyed to pull it off the market and raise prices, not give it to poor people. Mules were... But see, that's part of the problem is that we didn't have uh, direct relief kind of systems in the early onset of uh the Great Depression. And we also didn't put any of that in the midway through either because um, when it came to direct relief, most of that was actually through monetary value. We never really gave any products away for free, such as food, clothing, or any of that, because all of that, all of the money spent on that needed to go back into the economy for that to then grow back from the horrible crash that we all had to suffer because the stock market's a bunch of fucking hootenanny. But, um... Yeah, I mean, it would have been nice if we had a system where you could just give people food for being people. That would that would be great. We had the production value to do it. The the thing is, though, is that the economy is very tied to people increasing their 
their wealth and 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 every quarter so that that was the precedent that wasn't being met anymore actually employed to destroy cotton they actually had mules stomp on the cotton and at first they hesitated to do it because this is not what a mule normally does they had to be forced to do it <laughs> if you could see this animation there's like this reluctant mule being forced at gunpoint to stomp on cotton i um yeah, I don't even know if you really have to do that. You could honestly just get like a field of cotton and have like the mule going really hard on it. The way they're making it look is like this is a slave mule at gunpoint reluctantly destroying free enterprise. The whole New Deal was about helping one group and then another group and then another group. Even though each time you help that one group, you're harming everybody else. And it turns out you didn't even help the farmers because other New Deal programs were even more successful driving up other prices, namely the prices of everything farmers buy. And uh, that's like, that's just not like an equivocal conflation because he's not providing work as to like, the farmers started making more money, so business owners decided to charge them more. And that's not necessarily the truth either, is that like a lot of these things, like across the board, everything went through an overproduction period. And... In order to keep the prices high, uh, Hubert Hoover and FDR said that we have to keep uh, wages also high. So there's a lot of other factors other than uh, successful farmers going into the prices then rising after dropping so heavily in deflation. Um, so like this one through line, I feel like they're making because the farmers succeeded in raising their prices everyone too started raising their prices it's not there's not a uh it's not coherent it's not like a hundred percent and there's no work provided here whatsoever because like the, the the everything was affected whether it was agriculture whether it was industrial or whether it was retail everything was affected on its own specific level and although these all these things are interwoven in a lot of their trading there's still like certain situations that each uh, industry was suffering under the Great Depression. Yeah, but if prices are collapsing all around you for years, at a certain point, you want to mitigate that damage. But prices had been falling for about a century in American history, and the United States had become, during that time, the great industrial power of the world. So it's actually not a bad thing for prices to fall. Yeah, but without proper context, like deflation can be a bad thing. You know, lower prices for consumer goods isn't that bad, especially when you have enough uh, demand for the supply. But if you have too much supply, not enough demand, and the prices drop, you start taking losses. And then you, to mitigate those losses, you start firing people, or you start cutting their hours, or you start cutting their pay. So in the end, even with prices falling at a certain point there is a level to when it rise it falls too hard that other people have to start suffering and they're not going into that enough here as if like low prices is just the ideal all the time and to the contrary it's much worse to force them up by giving businesses the power to collude with each other so that all throughout an industry nobody's allowed to sell below a particular price uh, citation needed on this collusion, but the thing that was kind of the, f the, the glue to this whole situation of the Great Depression was central planning, is that our economy lacked central planning, and then it also, uh, because of that lack of central planning and the continued monopolization, so even though we didn't have 
big businesses like we do now all working together in the same sector. Back then we had just major businesses working in one sector, owning almost all of it. And so with that individual mega corporation creating competition for all these smaller guys and then also competing with major multinational corporations across the seas it just made the 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 competition too much also on top of lowering the prices um the the unfortunate thing is is that we didn't use the government to regulate literally anything at that time and so when central planning came into focus from fdr's presidency that's when we were able to actually stabilize our production on top of stabilizing our economy which the stock market after 1930 could give a fuck all about because the stock market's a game okay so that's just for food but the new deal is about the whole nation and the whole economy recovering so yes, yeah, some people are going to be negatively affected, but Americans had to make sacrifices in the hardest of times. It wasn't just for food. What I described was actually the thinking behind the National Industrial Recovery Act, and it worked more or less the same, making it harder for the poor to buy food, to get transportation, to be clothed and housed. The National Recovery Act... And again, like when you say these kind of things, you need to, you, you need to bring data to support this evidence because so far the, the reason why people didn't have access to those is because they weren't being paid enough on top of the fact that there weren't many people even employed at the time. So the working class was extremely poor and to continue pushing commodity goods on top of that, it, it just devalues almost everything because nobody can purchase anything administration allowed businesses in each industry to establish a code of production which would set working hours, wages, and prices. So, so what's wrong with that? It means that upstarts can't compete on price. <laughs> and while that may be true, think of how many upstarts would have even been tried during the Great Depression. Like consumer confidence was extremely low and investments were only being made in like certain bonds in the stock market. So like to, to think that an entrepreneur was going to have much success during a Great Depression when most people aren't buying anything and then blame the fact that um, uh, FDR had stabilized the, uh, uh, the workers' economy for larger firms, that's... It, again, you need data. You need to back up your argument with some proof because all we're just saying is like, well, they did this and it's associated with this and I see it as bad. The biggest businesses tend to prosper because if you're, say, a Goodyear tire, well, everybody already knows Goodyear tire. But if I'm Tom's tire, what's the only way I can compete with Goodyear tire? Not on name recognition, but on price. Well, also quality. Also quality. But now I can't sell at a lower price because under the National Recovery Act, the government won't let me. So FDR said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But a generation, the fear had been that big business monopolies in a certain industry are all going to get together and they're going to collude to jack up the prices and basically screw the population out of as much money as they can get away with. Again, like you're just also framing this and without any evidence, like the, the, they didn't collude. This was like central planning. This is basically looking at the job market and being like, we can't get all of these people employed based off of the amount of goods that you're trying to sell. But the employees that you have should be dedicated to a certain amount of money and a certain amount of um, 
uh, uh, hours. Because if we took in unemployment into that, that means a lot more people are in the pool for receiving jobs, but that decreases the amount of wage that uh, that these businesses would then pay their people. So even if they were working, they wouldn't be able to afford the goods that they produce. And that's the problem of trying to earn a surplus value rather than just trying to provide. This was the nightmare concern of having an oligarchic system. That people are going to be at the mercy of these big trusts. And now they're codifying it into law? That's pretty much the case. The very thing we were taught to fear was now mandated by law. I still think that under extreme situations... And I mean, the only thing is, is that like these big companies could afford it is because they had the capital to in order to support this legislation they had the money to do so the small businesses honestly like it's really difficult just because even in a great depression they're not going to have a lot of success in a lot of things that they do because they don't have major capital backing them even during good times they would have to become a major corporation in in order to have the resources to survive a great depression maybe you have to rely on big companies and rely on stable prices in order to make sure to cut down on that sky-high unemployment and make sure everyone has a job. That's the problem that needs to be solved. A lot of people think of things like the Works Progress Administration when they think of- They were taking too much losses from their overproduction so they didn't hire people. About the New Deal that gave people jobs. If we look at the work of economists John Joseph Wallace and Daniel Benjamin, they found that the jobs created by the WPA and the other New Deal spending programs either just displaced private sector jobs that existed already what? or actually destroyed those jobs because these programs just dried up capital that could have been used for private sector investment. Wait a second. That's not what it says right here at all. It actually says the opposite of what he's saying. It says cross-sectional data bearing on the operation of the Federal Emergency Relief Administration rejects the hypothesis that the federal relief programs reduced private employment. But that's exactly what he's saying here is that these programs reduced private employment and the potential of them investing in the stock market, even though the stock market jumped 70% in 1930. The stock market did fucking fantastic during the Great Depression. It was small businesses and working class individuals who did not so um, even more interesting is that he he says that this quote here does the opposite of what it's it, it itself is claiming that's are you blind it's literally saying the opposite and we now know because of historian Bob Higgs that business at the time really held off from investing because they didn't know what the federal government was going to do next and nobody wanted to expose himself to an unpredictable federal government so they just bided their time and me that's an argument that they make during the recession all the time especially when a democrat's in office so like they're always like i don't know if the government's going to put more taxes on me and so the the rich withheld their investments like i said the 1930s and afterwards the stock market was great it was it was the the rest of us who did not have money meanwhile the economy continued to suffer what it boils down to is there were a like in with the stock market going up in the 1930s and the Great Depression persisting through till 1937 is proof that the stock market has diddly dick to do with the true economy of this country. A lot of programs, but they all shared the same basic flaw that a group of experts 
are going to direct resources better than you and it, it was the 1929 crash of the stock market when everybody started selling off their stocks because everything was overvalued because of the overproduction the stock market crashed and everybody started pulling their money out from banks and banks failed so like the stock market can have an incredible effect on our economy but what's fascinating to me is that after that period the economy has no effect on the stock market when i can <laughs> Great Depression's culprit, the Fed. I, I'm, I really hope that we start from the beginning at this point. It sounds like what you're saying is there's lots of different symptoms, but they're all being treated with the same medicine, medicine that hasn't been shown to be effective in any single specific instance. So instead of focusing on treating symptoms, let's focus on preventative measures. If you have an economy based on capitalism, you inevitably have these depressions. They happen cyclically. So maybe the New Deal couldn't fix the situation because all those programs were just band-aids that didn't address the real cause. And I kind of agree with this point that the New Deal that FDR put into didn't actually fix um, the, the, the root cause of the Great Depression because we still see recessions every seven to eight years. So in every recession could turn into a Great Depression with a significant loss in confidence in the stock market. The stock market could crash, people could panic and start removing their money from banks yet again. But um, what I find very fascinating is that whenever we have discussions of like depression like when you see like pictures of empty shelves and right-wing memes is that they're always like this is what it's like to be in venezuela or socialist venezuela this is what it's like to be in soviet russia whenever we see famine or uh yeah basically famine people not having access to food we blame it on socialism or communism but when we have cyclical recessions or a massive ass great depression it is of no fault of capitalism whatsoever so yet somehow too just like donald trump this thing is bulletproof from any criticism whatsoever it's very easy and fashionable to say that but actually depressions are not a natural feature of capitalism a depression is a phenomenon, like obviously we've only had one great depression, but we've had many recessions since then and they do happen cyclically, even to the point where economists actually measure them and can predict when they're going to happen. This or that sector may go up and down, but system-wide collapses? Our but that's the thing too, is like with our mixed economy and everything being tied together like that, if one big enough industry fails, then the whole ship comes down with it foreign to capitalism without government intervention. Think of it this way. Imagine a master builder who has a blueprint to build a house, but he doesn't have enough resources to build the house that the blueprint calls for. So the longer he persists in working on it, the more resources and labor hours wait, he wait, wastes because the project will eventually have to be abandoned for lack of but that wasn't what caused the Great Depression. Why are we going with this analogy? When he started this video, it began with like the overproduction in food and how FDR had to step in and start uh, subsidizing and reducing the amount that we produced. Right now, he's arguing that we didn't have enough resources to follow through on our projects, and that's why it failed. We built a credit bubble. People started buying. We didn't like that. The resources that he would be have to be talking about is just money. Is that people started spending too much money that they did not have. The, the, the credit bubble is another massive piece to this entire thing. 
Um, so, uh, and, and to then use that, we didn't have enough resources to keep building the, the economy or the infrastructure doesn't fit with the idea that we had a massive over, overproduction crisis in the night in 1929, just like 1921 to 1929 and an overproduction thing that had to be mitigated by the government through the 1930s. So it wasn't a lack of resources, but it was a lack of actual money that we had to spend. Materials. The sooner he spots his error, the better. This is what happens with the economy as a whole when the Federal Reserve pushes interest rates down artificially. It gives entrepreneurs the idea that there are more resources available than there really are. The economy. So we're, I feel like we're talking credit without actually talking about credit here. Because especially when you bring in the Federal Reserve moving interest rates, interest rates are decidedly tied to uh, credit and how people are supposed to return the credit that they borrow. So it's very fascinating here that we're avoiding that word. He becomes too ambitious, embarking on long-term projects for which the necessary resources do not exist. And he keeps saying resources. I, do I have to say again that we were overproducing everything? We, we, we went too hard on cotton, and cotton started losing money. We obviously don't want fiscal or monetary stimulus at a time like that. Oh, and then automation really started knocking people's jobs out of the way, too. There was a, there was a bigger, sh bigger shift towards automation, which, uh, you know, Yuval Noah Harari and Andrew Yang have both brought up that it's going to be even bigger by 2050, that we may see so much automation that we have to do a universal-based income because that just encourages entrepreneurs to continue along this unsustainable path, rather than making them realize they need to abandon it and shift resources into more appropriate channels. Wait a minute, so you're saying it's like taking an energy drink and you're running around on that artificial high, but if you try to nourish yourself entirely on energy drinks with nothing else, you're gonna crash and you're gonna collapse. Uh, I think the words like for this analogy fit, but don't necessarily make sense. Um, trying to get an analogy where the energy that you have is borrowed energy and then the energy you can't pay back probably would have been better than just crashing because you had too much energy. I guess it kind of fits, but they're still ignoring like the credit bubble amongst consumers on top of the fact that we way overproduced a lot of goods to a certain point where nobody could get paid or pay for them. And that's what happened in the 1920s under Herbert Hoover leading up to the stock market crash. And one of the first things Hoover did was convene a meeting of big business leaders and urge them to keep waiting. Because if you're going to interact with the economy, you're going to have to interact with the people who technically control it, which is private business. Wages stable, even at a time when prices are falling. To keep wages stable, you're basically trying to give everybody a raise during the worst economic downturn in American history. Not the best time for a raise, really. Right. I don't know why keeping wages where they were is like giving everybody a raise if you're devaluing their wage because you have too much shit to sell. So by devaluing their wages even more, how are they able to um, maintain their life lifestyles? Like those people would have taken a reduction in pay and wouldn't be able to afford other goods and services. Because the businesses can barely afford to keep the workers they have at those wages that they're paying them when the prices are falling through the floor. So at a certain point, if those wages are kept high enough, everyone's going to lose their job because the business is going to go out of business. That's exactly right. And by the way, contrary to what most people have been told, 
Hoover did not sit on his hands. He had no problem spending money. He spent more on public works projects in four years than had been spent in the previous 20. But after I did some research, Hubert Hoover did like zero to anything for actual like direct relief. Everything that he did was by giving loans to banks, private insurance companies. And then he also gave money to like, rather than giving them to states to support welfare social programs, he gave them to like YMCA and other charities to kind of slightly alleviate the problem. His Reconstruction Finance Corporation gave emergency low-interest loans to failing businesses and then began to bail out the states, helping them pay for unemployment relief, fund public works projects, etc. No, that part, that part was, uh, no, he didn't, he didn't do that. He didn't do that specifically. Um, was it that one? Not that one. Is it this one? Um, let's see. Congress pushed for a more direct government response to the hardship. In 1930 to 1931, it attempted to pass a $60 million bill to provide relief to drought victims by allowing them access to food, fertilizer, and animal feed. Hoover, who we're talking about, stood fast in his refusal to provide food, resisting any element of direct relief. The final bill of $47 million dollars provided for everything except food but did not come close to adequately addressing the crisis again in 1931 congress proposed the federal emergency relief bill which would have provided 375 million dollars to states which is what they're talking about to help provide food clothing and shelter to the homeless but hoover opposed the bill stating that it ruined the balance of power between states and the federal government and in february 1932 it was defeated by 14 votes so if you want to know how he did help, we have this. He helped raise $500,000 in private funds to support the White House Conference on Child Health and Welfare in 1930, rather than indifference or in heartlessness. Okay, that's we're, we're trying to feel his heart now, but Hoover's steadfast adherence to a philosophy of individualism as the path toward long-term American recovery explained many of his policy decisions. A voluntary deed, he repeatedly commented, is infinitely more precious to our national ideal and spirit than a thousandfold poured from the treasury, which is like the same thing that capitalist uh, Carnegie, who is the Carnegie Hall is made after, believed is that rich people shouldn't be taxed to help provide to the, the greater good or the community. No, they should be able to decide which charities to donate to in order to then help alleviate the issues. So fuck taxes that go directly to the roads and any social welfare programs. I'm going to provide to this homeless shelter that will help shelter at least 200 homeless people. And then let's talk taxes. The Smoot-Hawley tariff introduced tariffs, that is taxes on imported goods, on over 20,000 products. And the idea was to have these taxes be so high that nobody in his right mind would pay them. Instead of buying a foreign product with these ridiculous taxes on them, you would just buy the American product, which could therefore be raised in price because you have nowhere else to go. Sure. I don't know if that's really what what happened, but if people are doing that during a Great Depression, then you have to be questioned on whether or not you're an evil person. 
Um, but the thing is that is that you do like during a Great Depression when there's no money circulating through your economy, you have to wonder: Do I want to send my money over to Italy or Japan, or should we keep in-house money to rebuild the economy? So in tariffs in this situation to discourage buying foreign products actually makes sense to me because you don't want American dollars going into companies that are overseas that do not pay taxes to us. Um, so I don't know why this would be a bad thing for Americans. You want Americans to buy American goods at a time when we have very little money circulating our economy. Now, this disrupted international trade and hurt Americans because American trading partners retaliated when their products were basically shut out of U.S. markets. The Italian government doubled its tariffs on American cars in response. Oh, but I thought libertarians thought competition was good. Ah, that's that's so weird. I thought they thought like that was like the peak of capitalism is that businesses could compete with each other. It's so weird. Response to what the U.S. was doing to them. So American automobile sales in Italy fell by 90%. And then just as the depression is getting really bad, Hoover took the top marginal income tax rate and raised it from 25 to 63%. And then corporate <laughs> taxes go up, estate taxes go up, gift taxes go up as do taxes on cars, tires, gasoline, toiletries, electric... To fund all the government spending that was necessary because no money was circulating in the economy. Holy crap. Holy crap. And as we've seen, whenever we decrease uh, rich people's taxes to a certain level, our deficit as a government rises considerably. So when the rich refuse to pay their taxes, it's literally the rest of us who has to take on the burden. But the thing is, is that even with that taxpayer money, uh, Hoover went and spent $2 billion of it to rescue banks, credit unions, and insurance companies. So uh, it's the same kind of stimulus we've been seeing since the Occupy Wall Street. Energy, luxury items, bank checks, and even telephone, telegraph, and radio messages. So I might point out that at the time, his opponent in the 1932 election, Franklin Roosevelt, and Roosevelt's vice presidential nominee, Jack Garner, were criticizing him for this. Garner said Hoover is leading the country down the road to socialism. And Franklin Roosevelt himself didn't say, if only Hoover would spend more money. He called Hoover's the greatest spending administration in peacetime in all our history. So not exactly what you learned in the seventh grade textbook. I mean, that's technically true. Um, I, I had initially heard that Hoover took more of a laissez-faire response to it, but it still seems with, after a little bit more reading, he still didn't do much to provide direct relief and expected the economy to bounce back. And he did that for a couple of years until then he realized that this recession is becoming quite worse than just a recession. Then he started doing uh, small things, mainly uh, bailing out banks and credit unions and insurance companies. Um, even with his uh, reconstruction, let's see here, he had a construction act, emergency relief and construction act, um, this act authorized the RFC to expand beyond loans to financial institutions and allotted $1.5 billion to states to fund local public work projects. This program failed to deliver the kind of help needed, however, as Hoover severely limited the types of projects it could fund to those that were ultimately self-paying, such as toll bridges and public housing. Wow. Wow. Refused to fund public housing. 
during a Great Depression. Oh my God, Hoover, you just keep winning more points. And that's why like they had like tent cities called Hoovervilles. And it's because he literally refused to house the millions of people that were evicted from their homes. Amazing. Fine. I'll grant you that this was caused by government intervention in the economy and the currency far before FDR. I don't. I don't grant him that point whatsoever, especially when you think that the SEC wasn't created until FDR took office in order to manage uh, the stocks or at least regulate them so that we didn't see the kind of crazy stock trading that we did during an overproduction period of our economy. So um, I don't agree with the conclusion that this guy in this video made with the other guy in this video. And I'll grant you that the New Deal didn't stop the Great Depression. Like, what kind of video is more likely to convince you? A convince, like, a video of a guy having an actual discussion of someone who genuinely disagrees with them, or with a video of people reading off a script as one guy slowly comes to the same conclusions as the other guy. But FDR's president, when World War II comes along, and that's what finally got us out of the Depression and got everyone under full employment. People say no, but the thing about the war is that like it with the war going on, the overproduction was less of a problem because with wartime, you actually need more production going into things, especially with how many troops were involved in this war, how many other countries were involved in this war in need of resources as well. So that overproduction actually finally got put to use, unfortunately, for a massive massacre across the entire globe. A World War II got the United States out of the Great Depression. Almost everybody thinks this or at least thought it until historian Bob Higgs came along and forced people to recognize the absurdities that... It's true that if you take 22% of the labor force, 11 million people, conscript them into the army, unemployment goes down. True. Presumably, I don't need to draw you a diagram about that, but a healthy economy does not need to take 11 million people and risk having them all die. I don't know how that proves their point. <laughs> Um, but I, I, I do agree. A, a healthy economy does not need to take 11 min, million people and risk having them all die. The, the thing is, is that during the Great Depression, we didn't have a healthy economy. That are buried in this. It's true that if you take 22% of the labor force, 11 million people, conscript them into the army, unemployment goes down. And they start earning wages based off of that. And the GI Bill for the, the veterans of World War II was incredibly lucrative. Presumably, I don't need to draw you a diagram about that. But a healthy economy does not need to take 11 million people and risk having them all die. The problem with any kind of economic data is that you need to analyze it to understand what it's saying. Which is hilarious because this video has done zero anal analyzing of economic data. Just zero of it. They, they take like little pieces of legislation that happened and then equate it to the shitty situation that everybody had to go through while it was happening. So something may be factual, but it may not necessarily be truthful. So yes, it is factual that sending all the unemployed people overseas to war while earning money produced a drop in the unemployment rate and a GI Bill that sent them to college. And it's factual that they're given food and clothing. 
Like the the fact that like all these GIs that ended up coming home having money in their pockets on top of the fact that they were able to go to college helped the economy immensely because it it shot a lot of these people who um, took these opportunities and weren't suffering p- from PTSD too, too badly. It allowed them to then build up into the upper class incredibly easy, a, a horrific situation to be put into, but one that did launch a lot of millions of Americans into the middle class. And shelter and helmets and guns. And in one sense, they're better off. And if they're going to argue that America going into World War II was uh, not right, uh, fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. Um, I'm, I don't know if Russia, like Russia did do most of the work in defeating Nazi Germany, but like who knows like how long Britain would have continued to be bombarded if we hadn't actually gotten into it. They, they had blitzkriegs so often so often and the fact that we sat by for as long as we did while like united kingdom citizens were constantly bombed from the air is insane to me it took us to actually like feel it in our hearts at pearl harbor to go like oh, okay now we need to do something but it's not truthful to say that if your entire job consists of 24 7 being worried about having the nazis kill you that this can be considered normal employment This has nothing to do with whether or not you think World War II was a good idea. The question is, what were its economic effects? Does it lift the country out of the Great Depression? No, it doesn't. Why? If war spending really made a country wealthy, then today maybe the U.S. and Japan should do the following. Each of us should build the most spectacular naval fleet in history, an enormous armada of gigantic, powerful, technologically advanced ships. Then these two fleets should meet in the Pacific. Now, obviously, we don't want to kill anybody, oh, so we'll take all the naval personnel off and evacuate them. Oh, my dear God. Do these people not even know that we've literally been in a war since World War II? Did, like, like really? Because, like, Korea, we were we went to war with China for a little bit. We, Like, Japan wasn't, like, the end of it. We even, like, had to do some battling in the Philippines, the Korean Wars, the Vietnamese Wars, the Cold Wars with Russia. Really? Really? We, we've been in war almost this entire time, and then after we were done with East Asia, we were like, fuck it, let's go to the Middle East. And at that point, the U.S. and Japan would sink each other's fleets. And then we could all celebrate how much richer we'd made ourselves by devoting labor, steel, and all these other inputs to producing things that would wind up at the bottom of the ocean. So if no- we're, we, we, we're still doing that technically, like with all the, we're still like technically in seven different wars in seven, seven different countries, like right now. None of these programs and war ended up stopping the Great Depression. What are we supposed to do the next time the economy takes a downturn? Send our hands and do nothing? Well, well, the thing is, is like the, when we had the Great Recession, that was a completely different circumstance that we had with the Great Depression, although both had, you know, credit bubbles to be involved with, the credit bubble of the of the Great Recession was, like, involved with housing. And the banks basically lump-summing all of these bad loans that never got paid off. Um, so, like, even if we see another Great Depression on the horizon, it may not be that inadvertible depending on what industry or section of the economy it's going to be. Well, pretty much, yes. We've had this experience before. The Forgotten Depression of 1920 to 21. That was a downturn that in some that ways was, was a recession. Bit. That was the recession leading up to the Great Depression. You can't. Okay. What? 
Oh, fuck, man. Just like the the overall need to like reconstruct context out of it out of itself in order to cherry pick your information to build an argument that's just come the fuck on as bad as the great depression and yet by the time the hapless warren harding i hate to call him that he's a good guy by the time it occurred to him to do anything about it it was already over once the dislocations of world war ii were behind us and once it became clear that the federal government was not going to engage in any more ambitious reconstructions of America, investment resumed. Business came back out from hiding and prosperity returned. No, no. Like I had said, the stock market had basically bounced back in the 1930s. The problem that kept perpetuating was the fact that nobody had jobs and nobody had money to spend, even the people who had jobs. So by unfortunately having millions of people uplifted in the in into the middle class through a fucked up war um that increased consumer confidence and consumer spending which then circulated the economy and continued to grow the profits of the same people who basically survived the great depression without a scratch oh that was it so when people talk oh. about the green new deal it's not new at all they're invoking programs and principles that have been put into practice almost 100 years ago. Uh, duh, that's why it's named after the New Deal. What? What? That's why it has the name New Deal in it, is because it's inspiration, it's inspired by the New Deal from the 1930s. And programs and- The thing is, though, is that the Green New Deal would actually need, like, a dramatic shift, way bigger than uh, what the New Deal itself did, um, because it affects, like, our energy infrastructure on top of our economics. So the Green New, the Green New Deal is a far bigger hill to climb, especially we should try to not do it while we're in Great Depression, because then we won't have to have millions of people suffering through starvation and famine and- the, the 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 like so we should probably enact the green new deal while we have prosperity and overproduction on our side practices that often had very negative effects sometimes even intentionally a lot of people complain about they want to take a spec and that's the thing is that through my research here is that although like fdr's new deals weren't necessarily perfect there is through lines to a lot of them actually alleviating the issues of the economy and laissez-faire capitalism back to the 50s well why would they want to take us back to the 30s? That's why this stuff matters even- Who the fuck wants to take us back to the 30s? How do you even make that through line? Even today. Because as you can see, a lot of people still draw inspiration from the New Deal. And it's what inspires a- uh, Okay, just because they called it a Green New Deal, they're like, let's go back to the 1930s. When we were putting windmills and solar panels everywhere. Yeah, okay. A lot of really, really damaging ideas and policies today. Jesus, like what a what a disinformation campaign calling itself a documentary. Wait, wait, wait. If you know all this stuff, Mr. Smarty Pants, why are you in here with me? I'm not in here with you. You're in here with me. I'm glad they addressed that because I was genuinely confused on how the therapist ended up being the per like the guy who brought up the idea. Oh, you're going through a Great Depression. He was the one who ended up learning what the Great Depression was. I was genuinely confused. And then they just added a little fucking bow tie to that at the end. Not really. I'm giving it more credit than it's due. 
So just out of curiosity, because I obviously came with a lot of takeaways that were not the same as theirs, and I also ended up doing research because with a subject such as the Great Depression, there's so many things that went into that. Um, it's hard to actually blame one single thing that uh, caused or perpetuated the problem. Um, I'm interested in seeing these comments because out of this, I got a good critical thinking opportunity and a learning experience. But what what did the commenters get out of this? Hmm? Let's, let's see. Let's see. Scroll, scroll, scroll. The top comment says, they probably need a third straight man because malice giving even rhetorical credence to the government is like Jesus, Jesus giving a sermon to the virtues of Satan. Who is malice one of the people in the videos? I don't know. I don't know. This guy looks like he has his own like channel too. He does, but I don't know what he does. So let's go back. Uh, ah! Music. Yikes. All right, scroll, scroll, scroll. You're all way past. Okay. Okay, scroll, 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 scroll. Okay. Uh, sounds like Malice is doing his best William Shatner impression. Okay, so Malice is the person uh, in the video. Um, Tom is an underrated actor. Okay, I'm still not seeing anything about the subject here. Malice sounds like he's reading a ransom note, not seeing anything about what was in the video. So Malice actually needs to move out move out of New York to the middle of nowhere because he looks good in overalls. They were they were cartoons. What are what is going on in this comment section? Did anybody actually learn anything from the Great Depression? While I hate unlearning all the garbage I learned through school and pop culture. <laughs> there's a valuable lesson there. Our enemies are in control. What? Okay. I, I, yep. If that, if, if you agree with all the premises and presuppositions that these dudes made, then yes, then your enemies are in control because your enemies want to regulate the economy. Uh, waited the whole time to see if Tom Woods wears the dress. Okay. More. Okay. Hopefully there are some zingers in this one. Okay, cool. How are you going to post this three days in advance? I need my Tom Woods in a dress fix. Again, great staying on subject here. More education here than eight weeks of seventh grade. That's unfortunate because I found it to be a lot of out of context information or education and also misinformation. Um, so that's it's too bad they feel that way. Because you could get more uh, out of this video by just doing your own research. I know it's not as easy as listening to these guys talk back and forth for 16 minutes, but you can definitely learn more on your own. Um, this is the best thing on the internet. It's not. I mean, if you honestly like Rick Astley, Rick rolling everybody, that's the best thing on the internet. There's only one way to fix all our problems. Throw another war 10 minutes later. Okay. Maybe not. And again, we've been in war since the fifties. We've been in war. That's, that's always been happening. Can't wait for the next episode. Blah. Uh, is there anybody talking about, like, the information provided whatsoever? I don't think so. Holy shit. No wonder the experts' response to COVID is so terrible. These fiascos have been going on since forever. 
The thing is, though, is that Hoover's response to the Great Depression is actually a lot similar to Trump's response to COVID. But I don't think that's the that's the uh, co connected dots here. I, I actually doubt it. But yeah. Um, greetings from Poland. Keep up the work. Okay. Wealth is created by work and work alone. The material wealth, sure. Um, some and we know who prefer, prefer it's others work, not theirs. And this is the only economic problem humanity ever had. Taxes? Taxes are the only economic problem humanity has ever had because uh, not paying taxes, like they raised it from 23% to like 60. Um, so if those were the taxes pre-Great Depression, I feel like not having taxes on the rich is actually more part of the problem. All right, so I guess that's... The YouTube comments don't have much for me. All right. All right. FDR was a massive piece of shit on top of being the... Wote? President? What is... What is Wote? These, these are the from the subreddit. At least they're talking about the video a little bit. Is an acronym for worst of all time. Oh, it's the opposite of GOAT. <laughs> these kids and their lingo. Um, he's the worst president of all time. I also disagree with that. Woodrow Wilson sucks. Woodrow Wilson on a moral level was actually worse. Hoover was decidedly worse, especially since he lost to FDR. And FDR held office, like, for three terms. So the people of the time probably wouldn't even agree with that. Um, let's see. Scroll, scroll, scroll. It's funny, sad... How he is put... Oh, this is still talking about FDR, and I don't care. Malice had a hard time not letting sarcasm enter the straight man role. That was a good video. I searched and saw no one posted it. Looking forward to the rest. I thought they said there were 10 episodes in total. There's 10 episodes of this shit? I hope it gets, like, broader context, because, like, the lack of context and the lack of work, uh, like, citations needed. Pretty, pretty heavily for this fucking video. If I go to playlists, am I going to get, like, Great Depression? So the politically incorrect guide to the Constitution? Oh my god, I cannot... Ooh, I, I, I would. I definitely would. But I don't see how this is a part to a ten-part series. So the Great Depression definitely, did like does deserve like a massive documentary series to dive into every minute part of it. Doing it in one video kind of does the Great Depression disjustice. Not enough justice in one video. Um, I would like to watch this with my kids. Is it PG? <laughs> it is. Don't, don't show it to your kids, though. I love both the... Uh, uh, they misspelled, but I'll, I'll correct it for them. I love both these men so much. I have have both played such a pivotal role in the changes of my political thought. I found Tom Woods in 2015 and his podcasts and talks at Mice's opened my eyes so much. Then after a long hiatus, I found a clip a few months ago of M.M. on Rogan explaining why he doesn't vote. And then I started watching his content and haven't looked back since. He was on Rogan? Joe Rogan hosts all the hot libertarians. 
I was a libertarian once, even so far as voting for, uh, uh, what's his name, Ron Paul. But then I realized they actually just want capitalism to do its own thing. And then I was like, oh, no, 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 because they, they don't have the common goods, best interests in heart. They like money, and that's when I broke away from the Libertarian Party. I, w I was all for, like, the individual rights and less government, but then it became, well, the less government is so that corporations can thrive. And I was like, the corporations are too big, though. So, um, let's see. Anything... Anything good in this fucking comment section? Yeah, no, there's just not anything really. So I'm going to move on to this Michael Malice video since I got a little bit of time. <laughs> the Joe Rogan experience. Chromebooks are actually pretty logical because most, mostly what people do is scroll. Yeah. They just go online and scroll. Well, I don't leave the house, so what do I need a laptop for? Are you like uh, completely locked down? In oh, I just meant because I'm. I don't like. I love my house. Oh, it wasn't because like, of Corona. This oh. has been the case for many years. So you haven't altered your behavior much at all because of Corona. Because this is what you've always done. Well, I've altered it in that, like, I want to travel more, but everyone, everyone's closed. There's yeah. nowhere to go. Are you worried about the virus at all? No, I'm worried about the response <laughs> to the virus, and and this has given some very very bad people some very useful information about how much crap people put up with. Yes, and and that. that we're at a point where it's just like, oh. oh, that's good. We're we're more concerned. We're going with the argument of being more concerned of government ordinances um, than we are of the actual virus spreading through our community. That's good. Oh yeah, we're you know we're just gonna open up, even though the metrics are worse than when we were closed. But now, uh, double masks. Why not? And there was an onion article. Yeah, I mean, and I agree, but that's also part of, like, big businesses' refusal to allow lockdowns and pay people to stay home. So there's a, there's a broader context that we're missing here. And I always bring it up, and I've done it so many times, that having lockdowns without financial support is meaningless and cruel. So if you're going to support lockdowns, support financial support. Otherwise, there's no point in doing any lockdowns whatsoever. Article from 99 that said, drinking dog pee lessens risks of cancer, snickering researchers say. And... I'm telling you, if they told people to start drinking dog pee, people would be on Twitter wondering what the best breed. If yeah, remember when Trump said that like people should inject or like the scientists could figure out if they can inject people with bleach and then people started fucking drinking bleach? Yeah, yeah, that that could happen. Fauci said it. He, They would do yeah, it. Yeah, there would be a large percentage of the population that would be sucking some And would be pee -pee. yelling at you. Yeah, I, you know what? I would believe that some liberals would believe Fauci no matter what. That's true. That's you, true. Fauci, that... Fauci almost has like the same kind of um, personality towards Trump, at least like idol worship. But the thing is, is that Fauci doesn't feed into it as much as Trump does. You're not doing it. <laughs> yes. Because how dare you not drink the golden retriever pee, yeah. which is the golden standard of pee, to keep grandma from dying. Well, I think that's one of the things that's really fascinating about this. But that's pandemic. the thing is that nobody's making that argument. They're saying uh, social distance, wear masks, and we should try to uh, uh, regulate businesses so that they're not overcrowding people so grandma can live. Equating that to drinking dog pee is a bad faith position to take in this argument. Pandemic is that it's happening during the time. And also, if you think wearing a mask is equal to drinking dog pee on a level of embarrassment and social anxiety, you really need to like nut up. You like seriously of social media where we've never had anything like this before where groupthink is encouraged and yes. forced and people there also because of the pandemic
Yeah, but when groupthink is used to say America is the greatest country in the planet, nobody really bats an eye, especially on this side of the political spectrum. Pandemic, so many people are just online. It's only groupthink that they don't like. That's when groupthink's a bad thing. But if the groupthink is the Bible, oh, fuck yeah. Maybe not for Joe Rogan, but for a lot of people on the right. All day. Sure. Because they're unemployed or they're just, they're at work from home and they're not really working they're just on twitter all day and you're seeing this like these really crazy behavior patterns it's like g people ganging up on people for i don't think they're crazy at all i think you know i had this tweet where, where there was a huge backlash and i said if you replace the term coronavirus with jews all of a sudden the behavior of 1930s germany makes a lot more sense because one of the big questions back in the days how did hitler pull this off how do you convince a population of educated people to behave in just the most inhuman ways. And what we're seeing is when low status people are given an excuse to assert dominance over other people for whatever mm, reason, yeah. in illegitimate in that case, somewhat legitimate in this case, they will champ at the bit to tell you to sit down and shut up and obey. That they, is true. It, it decentralizes the enforcement mechanism. I was on the subway in New York. I've been in New York all my life. I've never seen anything like this, where an older man in his 50s was yelling at an Asian dude who wasn't like it's a rickshaw he was just like a regular asian dude standing over him screaming where's your mask go back where you came from and it's like if you're this concerned about the virus why are you coming close to him you don't care about the virus this is your excuse to be dominant and aggressive or someone in yeah. the most despicable way possible i mean some people will take advantage of that but a, a really effective way of getting people to do things is peer pressure um, but I, I could agree, especially when you take the time to like record it, there's a much more like narcissistic attention thing going on there. But, um, uh, if you're going to virtue signal on people, the, the best route is to come from like an actual concern of the common well-being and not necessarily trying to, uh, dunk on a right winger that doesn't really do much for like the community sense of all of this. That's a lot of what you see in, in social media, right? A lot of the yes. really shitty behavior is an excuse to be shitty. I feel like you see most of human beings' shitty behavior through social media. If you go to social media to find, like, the greatest of human behavior, you're going to be severely disappointed. You have to, like, type those videos into YouTube specifically to get... You know, like they found... But the shock and Freudian videos are just off the fucking charts. ...found and in right. in order to exert their shitty behavior. Being violently anti-racist is the only way lowest status whites have an excuse to be dominant and better than somebody else. Yeah. This is the one leg up they have, so this becomes their identity. You don't see it that much from people who are minorities or people who are immigrants, certainly, people who are gay unless they went to college. But you see it all the time with these lowest status whites, especially white women. They can't, they're tripping over themselves. Now they have a chance to yell at someone and feel empowered. It's really reprehensible behavior. And if you want to stop this behavior, that's not the way to do it. If you want to stop ignorant behavior, educate people, be friendly with them, say, hey, you know what? I come from this background. You probably... And I agree, but I had said earlier that this kind of shaming doesn't necessarily work if you're coming from a virtue signal position trying to dunk on a right winger. You have to come from a community's perspective to try and bring people into the fold in the idea that we're a greater community that spreads out across this nation. I don't realize what you're saying, but when you're saying this, this you're talking about my grandma. And when someone comes at you like that, you're like, oh, crap, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't, I didn't mean thinking by it. And you've educated that person very quickly. I don't care about that. It's all about dominance, always. And what do I need to say to get you to do what I want? Yeah, and because of social media, they have this weird little outlet now where a person isn't just talking to someone on a subway. 
now they're talking to everyone that's on right. their feed. They're talking to, and a lot of people will chime in that also want to reinforce this kind of shitty behavior. A lot of other low-status people that are finally getting their voice heard on something. And it- I mean, it's the same thing as like the Twitter rage mob, is that people are really frustrated with the things that are going on and they feel extremely powerless. And the thing is that social media allows you to voice your opinion to millions, thousands, or even directly towards celebrities or people who are in influential positions. So it doesn't always end up with the right guided direction of where people's anger is but it is a sign that social media feeds people's anger at what is going on even though it's still being very misguided it's all it's like it's irrefutable like wear a fucking mask yeah like that's one of those irrefutable things no one's going to argue with you it's like if you're wearing a mask why do you need to wear a mask it's like you don't need a condom and a diaphragm right um when we were kids it would have been unimaginable yeah but some people I don't know why he went with that specific example because some people like a dude will wear a condom and a girl will still be on birth control just in case hole in the condom or it falls off or what have you. Um, double protection doesn't make itself negated. I, like that's why you can't do just mass. You had to do social distancing on top of it. And the reason why you should be concerned of whether or not you're wearing a mask is what wondering whether or not you have the virus, which is uh, asymptomatic for two weeks, which is still transmittable. So again, that person wearing the mask isn't going to stop them from catching particles on their mask and eventually breathing it in. It's for the people who have masks from shortening the amount of uh, molecules that they actually spread out into the atmosphere. For someone to say, I yelled at my grandparents at Thanksgiving dinner for X, Y, and Z reason. Everyone would be like, jock, nerd, whatever. Like, what, dude, what is wrong with you? And now they get applause. Now they'll go on Facebook. I told. And that's because, like, this specific situation that we're in demands community strength. That your, your community is literally as strong as its weakest link. And our weakest link was our president. And that's why we have 500,000 dead Americans to this date. I told off my grandma, I told off my so-called racist dad, homophobic mom, and everyone's like, good for you for standing up for yourself. Yeah. No, you're an ass. Yeah. Yeah, but putting it on social media makes you more of an ass. I think if you're coming from a good faith position to uh, convince your parents to either do what is necessary to stop spreading this virus, I don't think that necessarily makes you an asshole. But the context of how you do it may or may not. Did you see that TikTok of the white kid talking about how all white people are racist? Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's amazing. I have not seen this TikTok. Because it's a perfect example of that. It's illogical what he's saying, like that he's saying that he's racist just by virtue of being white. And it's, it's so bizarre to watch because he's a caricature. He literally is like a parody. He's, he's, he's like one of those YouTube comedian parodies of these social justice warriors. It, it harkens, I, I made the point that uh, corporate America has done a much better job of importing Maoist communism than the Chinese party ever did. But this was what Mao invented. North Korea still has it. They had these struggle sessions where you get up with all your colleagues and you have to denounce yourself and say what you did that was horrible. And then they all berate you. And then you point out, oh, I saw Joe doing this. Joe, I saw Mike doing this. And this was their... Well, I mean, I think what's very funny is that, like, uh, even Catholicism runs on that idea. It's a little bit more anonymous because you only preach your sins to... Or you only tell your sins to, like, a priest or a father. But, like, there's this simple idea of self-shame that goes into humiliating yourself in order to participate in a community. 
kind of community because it keeps everyone watching each other all the time. Yes. And it keeps everyone so-called honest. And by honest, they mean subservient to the regime. And I mean, that's really different in the Chinese and Korean context because they want you to report any citizen doing the wrong thing so that they can face punishment from the government. So there, there's a slightly different tweak of context here that we're missing. There was a um, phone call, conference call from Northwestern University, I believe, when all the law students had to get in the call and say, I'm white and I'm racist. <gasps> it, it, what? It, yes, this happens. In yeah, but that wasn't enforced by the government. That was obviously part of like whatever situation that was. I don't know who came up with that whatsoever, but it's completely different when a government is the one enforcing this. That's a serious major power breaching human rights. If it's a private institution doing that, then it's really up to the individual whether or not they want to participate into that in, into that institution. The problem if the government does it is that you don't necessarily have a choice of who your government is. I was born into the United States and I don't have a lot of choice on what the United States government does besides when I vote every two to four years. Increasingly, where you are ordered to say you're at the very least racially insensitive. And it's like, let me tell you something, as an immigrant, like this crap does not uh, sit well with me. It's just totally foreign to my thinking. Yeah. And it's such this, this um, relic of American puritanism. You know, this kind of like, we're all such sinners and we have to denounce ourselves. It's this weird mix of Woodrow Wilson and Chairman Mao. Wow, <laughs> that's an interesting way of putting it, but I think you're onto something. Catch new episodes. <laughs> Yeah, I said a little bit, but like that's something that persists in a lot of communities whatsoever is to the, 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 uh, humble uh, its members in order to uh, put on an equal level for everybody. But you can disagree on that whether or not. I don't think the United States should initiate a snitch program where you start reporting on your neighbors for malfeasance, malfeasance like they did in the 1920s and 1950s when neighbors would say that neighbor is a communist and they would sweep and deport them away. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, we're not living in those times anymore. Otherwise, I'd see myself on a ferry to God knows who where, probably Venezuela. All right, that has been Talks News. Thank you for joining me and all of that good stuff. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much that's that's pretty much it. Um, what 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 what? Yeah, follow me on Twitter. You'll figure it out. We'll do stuff with subscription and plug and i'm plugging great I, I always plug phenomenally the greatest plugs in the history of america oh man uh until next time uh until i figure out how to plug this podcast and do it properly i will catch you on the motherfucking flip side <laughs>